You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Hello and welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 101 for Monday the 5th of February 2018. My guest today is Rhoda Baxter, who writes contemporary romances about smart women and the men who love them, but with no alpha males in sight. She believes that clever is the new sexy. Rhoda originally worked as a microbiologist, She's also a member of the UK Romantic Novelists Association and the Society of Authors. When we caught up for the podcast, I started by asking Rhoda how a microbiologist ends up writing romantic comedies. Well, I always wanted to write. Um, I read a lot when I was a kid. My mum, we moved around a lot when I was little, so my mum taught me to read. Um, And so by the time I went to school, I was already reading chapter books. Um, So, yeah, so I always wanted to write. And I got to sort of, I finished my O-levels, because that makes me sound really old, but there you go. Finished my O-levels. I said to my dad, oh, you know, I want to do literature. And he just looked at me and went, no, you'll never get a real job doing that. Um, so, so I did science instead, because I was quite good at science. And yeah, then did science A-level, went and did an undergraduate degree, then did a PhD. Uh, finished my PhD and I thought, I've got all this free time now. Because uh, a PhD is like a 24-7 uh, activity. So, yeah, and I, just, I got all excited and signed up for um, writing courses. So I had a job and then I'd come home and I'd go to these writing courses. Um, yeah, so I, I really wanted to write a book. But I started off with short stories and things, um, kind of learning the craft, if you like. Um, there used to be a website called BBC Get Writing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which was like a mentoring program for people. Um, I spent a lot of time on that. Um, and, and they used to do a, a nightly challenge. So between eight and nine o'clock, you had to write, they'd give you a prompt and you had to write a story and post it within the hour or that kind of stuff. It was all practice. Um, then eventually I settled down, wrote a book, thought it was great. Um, and I was trying to get some feedback on it. I sent it off to agents. Um, got some very nice rejections, which now I know is actually quite, I should have been more encouraged by that. But at the time I was just like, oh, nobody wants it. Um, so I sent the book off for critique to the Romantic Novelist Association. Um, they have a scheme called the New Writer Scheme. And at the time I looked at it and I thought, well, actually that's, that's quite cheap for a critique. So I'll join. And it was a revelation. Um, there's a whole world I didn't know about. It's like, uh, it's like you're cycling along the con- a country lane and you turn the corner and you're on the motorway. It was like that, the level of information. Um, and the, f- the critique came back and the person who was doing it said, well, do you know what? You're trying too hard. Just write something for fun. See what comes out. Uh, so around that time, um, I had a baby. I was kind of busy. Um, so when I got back into writing, I thought, yeah, okay, I'll try and write something for fun. And I wrote a book which the next year pretty much found a publisher. And so I thought, oh, well, never look back. (laughs) Now, I must ask you about this because uh, science, in terms of the bits of the brain that science uses, um, they're very different Mm -hmm. to what writing uses, aren't they? We've kind of got creative and and analytical there. And so there seems to be that a little bit of tension there between your two interests. Yeah, well, actually, I don't think science is... um... Well, it is analytical, but you do need quite a lot of creativity because you're making these leaps of judgment from it's like doing um, like doing jigsaw puzzles. You you get the information and you put them together. But the big picture bit that takes a creative leap. A lot of scientists are quite creative, actually. A lot of them um, play music. Yes. yes. I don't. But yeah. <laughs> Uh, so the other thing yes this is my outlet yeah absolutely yes why not yeah Uh, the other thing is i usually when i talk to uh, writers they they've scribbled as a child they've read early and got keen on books and then been scribbling as a child you you didn't mention that you sounded like you came into writing as an adult even though you loved books 
No, I, I wrote when I was a child. Uh, my first reader is a friend of mine from school. So um, I grew up in Sri Lanka um, and I went to an all girls school and it's all very strict, you know, and we weren't really allowed to read romance novels because, you know, it might give us ideas and distract us from our studies kind of thing. Um, so uh, I thought, well, fine, I'll write one then. So actually, my first romance story was probably when I was about 13 or 14. Oh, wow, really? Um, <laughs> and it, they were quite small and they were quite terrible. But, you know, they, they were a great hit in my class. I've still got them, actually. They were typed up on this really old portable typewriter. And they'd been passed from hand to hand. And, you know, there's little notes scribbled in the margins where people are like, oh, I like this bit. And, um, yeah, they're barely readable now because they're so old and, you know, worn down. But... I've still got them. It's quite nice to look at them sometimes. I bet that felt pretty naughty in those days, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's like naughtiness for nerds, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, but in the old days, we didn't have the internet, so you had to do things like that. You had to be resourceful. Well, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, funnily enough, my first reader now, the person that I think about when when somebody says a reader is that same person, and she still reads my books. That's fantastic. That's lovely. That's what I call a dedicated reader, somebody who's been with you yeah. throughout your career. Um, so so <laughs> yeah. is that where the romance uh, and the love of romance came from then? That kind of, I guess you weren't exposed to it. You couldn't get your hands on any in a, in a, in a girl's school. So um, the love came from that, did it? Or, or did it come from somewhere else? Um, I don't know. It's one of those things that I've or that first kiss feeling, you know, when you're watching a film and the, the characters come in for their first kiss. I love that. Obviously, I'm married now. I'm not allowed to do that. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, Spoil everything, isn't it? I just have to make it up. <laughs> <laughs> now, the other thing we've got to do is because we're going to be talking about romance books. So you and I had a little um, exchange on Twitter last night because I, I'd just gone and submitted one of my books to my book cave, which I'd never used before. And I had to go through <laughs> a whole questionnaire about how saucy my book was and how much violence there was and, and drinking. And incidentally, just to follow up on that conversation, they let me in today. I, I thought, oh, blimey, they'll never let me in when I, if I did. Oh, no, they do. <laughs> oh, yeah, so that, it was just I a way of assessing, yeah. Yeah, it's just for the readers because some people are quite sensitive to whatever, you know. So, yeah. So I want to, before we start delving into the books and the writing a little bit more, I just want to establish what is a romance and what kind of romance is that you're writing? Does it, does it stop before the bedroom door? Is it all very chaste or, or do they get a little bit saucy at times? Well, they get saucy. I just don't like to watch. So it's kind of closed door. Um, plus my mum reads my books. So yeah, I can't write anything too hot. <laughs> um, but what is a romance? That's quite an interesting question actually, because it's a different the genre is slightly different in the US to the UK. So I write very UK, very British romances. So um, in in America, sometimes they wouldn't even be called romance. They'd be called women's fiction. Hmm. Um, so in an American romance, the characters, the main two main characters have to meet right at the start. They're usually a lot hotter. You know, your mainstream romances are a lot hotter than they are here. Um, and they have more alpha heroes, so billionaires and, you know, really gung-ho guys and marines and stuff like that. Uh, British romance is a lot more um, more relaxed about the romance aspect, I suppose. So you can have other things going on. So I write what would probably be called chick lit, but it's got darker themes wrapped in with it. Ooh, darker. You see, now, now I like this. This has got me going. What, what? <laughs> well, what, <laughs> what are these? says, you know, funny isn't the opposite of serious. Mm. So, yeah. So you've got jokes and you've got dark stuff. <laughs> oh, lovely. Now, the other thing that you declare um, on your author profile is that there are no alpha males in your book. So th- this is the, yes. the gung-ho guys yeah. of the Marines. So wh- why is that? The gung-ho why you... guys. Mm, why, why not? Mostly... When I read books with alpha male heroes in, I just want to smack them. You know, they're just so irritating. And, yeah, so I write beta males who are kind of the nice guy heroes. Um, so they don't order your dinner for you. Um, and they don't tell you what to do. They're more kind of the supportive nice guys. 
Um, and they tend to get the good jokes as well because alpha males tend not to have that great a sense of humour. And and you also um, declare that you you write about smart women, and you know, good good for you for that too. So uh, you, you're writing something about uh, well, normal men and normal women, really, aren't you? <laughs> it's because it's not. Yeah. Well, this is the thing when when I started when I really started reading romance because I used to read I read quite a lot of sci-fi as a child. Um, like I said, I grew up in Sri Lanka and. If you're um, at that time in the 80s, Arthur C. Clarke was still alive mm. and he was very much a, a presence in Sri Lanka because he lived outside Colombo. Um, so, yeah. So if you're a child of a certain age and you even like sci-fi a tiny bit, you know, you got really into that. Um, so, yeah. So I read a lot of sci-fi uh, and then I also read a lot of crime because I like crime. I don't write it. I just like reading it. Um and when I got into reading romance, it was uh, when I was commuting to London. So I had lots of time on the train. So I was reading three, four books a week. Um, yeah, I just started after a while. I kept thinking, but where are all the, you know, the, the clever women, the ones who are, are doing the juggling of job? And because this is what early 90s, it was all very much um, alpha males and not very alpha females um, as the main characters. So I wanted to write something about women that I recognize, yeah, you know, smart people who are educated and just don't like people telling them what to do. <laughs> good for you. <laughs> now let, let's go back to that first book then. And um, your kind of route to, we've got kind of heard the writing a bit of it, but the route to, to publication and, and getting that book out on the shelves. How, what was that process like for you? Um, the first one that got accepted was, like I said, it was my second book. It was, um, I submitted it to a small press in America called Ansio Press. Um, they were an e-publisher. They were one of the first ones. Uh, this was still at the time where self-publishing wasn't really a thing. We didn't have a Kindle in the UK. It was still relatively new in the US. Um, and there were e-book publishers, but there were only about three or four big ones for certainly for romance, mostly there was Elora's Cave, which did um, erotica, Samhain, which did erotica and non-erotic, and Unseal, which um, well, which did quite a range of things, but not erotica. Um, and there were a few others, but not very many. Um, and it wasn't really taken seriously. Ebooks were, you know, they were still odd. Um, so anyway, they accepted it and they published it. Um, and they took my next book as well. And then my third book, I submitted to a, uh, a romance publisher called Chocolate. That was great. That that went into bookshops and stuff. That was amazing. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> you know, an actual print book. Um, and, you know, it got translated into Norwegian. Uh, yeah, that was pretty awesome. Um, and then the, the two original books, they were only on two-year contracts. And so when they came off contract, Chocolate published them as well. Um, and so, yeah, so I think they've got four of my books. Da, 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 yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, so I was with them for a while, and that was quite cool. Um, and I'm a very active member of the Romantic Novelist Association and stuff, so that's, that's also quite handy for finding out who's looking for what. And while all this was going on, obviously the whole indie revolution happened. Um, and I wrote Girl in Trouble, which was my, the last full length book, which is my first indie published one. I wrote it, um, it was part of the same series that Chocolate had, and it was meant to go to Chocolate. But yeah, things changed slightly and they said, well, actually, Chocolate is not selling as much as we'd like. So in the end, I ended up with the rights to the book. So I self-published it. And that's been a massive learning curve. Now, we must Huge. talk about this. We have to talk about this. So um, it, when you were traditionally published, presumably somebody else did all the work, they did the covers, the formatting, all of that stuff? Yeah. So you got everything done. You had your edits, your covers, your blurb was written. Everything was uploaded onto the relevant sites. If they did print, the formatting was done. Um, you know, you got just like a box of author copies would arrive. And, um, yeah, I'm trying to get my head around KDP print and 
I hadn't realized quite how much a big deal that was, just having a box of books delivered to you <laughs> with no effort. Well, I'm going to say one word to you, which is Vellum. Uh, have you heard of this software? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's on my list of things to look at. Uh, at the moment, I use Drafter Digital because um, they have that uh, formatting service, I guess. You download your different formats. It does work quite well for CreateSpace. Um, I'm trying to get it to, to to play nice with KDP. <laughs> well, what, what did you try Vellum? There's no going back. It's uh, it's quite remarkable. I know. I'm told. I'm mm. told. Mm. Yes. I I've done it always uh, with paperbacks, and the minute I tried Vellum, I knew that I was never going to use anything ever again. It's it takes ten minutes to do with Vellum. It's um, a dream. So I, I will recommend to you if you are struggling with that to to try and check it out if you can. It's a Mac program, isn't it? Well, it is, but you can use it on a PC. If uh, have you got a PC? Are you a PC or a Mac user? Well, actually, I use Chromebook now. Oh, really? <laughs> Which does not <talk> anything. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I might have to just buy a secondhand Mac for Vellum and Scrivener only. Yes, well, um, on my blog, I I found a way to crack. Uh, if you use a PC, there's a little video on there that right. tells you how to do it because um, I I don't like Macs at all. And uh, so I was right. determined to find a way to do it. But there is a way you could do it. And I, I use it on a PC. I don't use it on a Mac. And it's all legal. It's no cheats or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, there's a little okay. video on my on my website. So if you don't like Macs, have a look at that and see if you can figure that out. But um, it's much easier than being oh, a microbiologist, well. I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I'm not a microbiologist anymore. Um, I I kind of fell into intellectual property from there. So I'm a technology transfer officer. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, I work for a university and I look at then when people invent new things, I look at whether it's patentable or, you know, how you can commercialize it. So, uh, yeah, different again. That's very interesting. You do some very highfalutin stuff. I know. It sounds great, doesn't it? Mm, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a, um, I love gadgets and techie stuff. So I quite like getting in there and looking at people's inventions and going, so how does this widget work then? Why is it better than what's out there? It's a bit like Dragon's Den. That's quite Den. cool. Hmm. Yeah, actually, quite, <laughs> quite a lot. Dragon's Den is the next stage on. So I'm the person that goes, well, you know what? You could probably take this to Dragon's Den. <laughs> Brilliant. It sounds really interesting. So... It, it is really fun. Without actually having to do any of the science, I get to see some really cool stuff. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Let somebody else do all the work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I'm interested then to, to dig into your first experiences of self-publishing because it's a bit of a shock for most people that you have to just do uh, everything. How, how have you navigated that precarious route? Um, well, actually, I I, um, I took a course. <laughs> I was I was learning. I mean, I'd been following blogs about self-publishing and listening to the Creative Pen podcast and stuff like that for a long time because even when I was traditionally published, you had to do quite a lot of marketing yourself. And I was always of the opinion that when it came to marketing, indies did it better. So I followed a lot of indie authors just to learn about how they marketed stuff. Um, so, so, yeah, so when I decided I was going to make the move, I already kind of knew where I was going to look. And then about, I don't know, it was just serendipitous that a few weeks after I thought, right, I'm going to have to self-publish this. Mark Dawson opened his course, his self-publishing 101 course. And I thought, well, this is going to save me hours, which it did. All of that information you could probably find if you dug around on the internet, but it would take so long and it would be so much work just finding it. It was really great to have a course which just told you what you needed to know. Uh, completely blew my mind some of it, you know, learning how to do um, uh, autoresponder sequences and, you know, where to find people for your mailing list and that sort of thing. Um, but uh, once I got the hang of it, well, once I tried it and eventually got the hang of it, um, it's actually been quite good. It's good fun learning new stuff. And, you know, I've spoken to a couple of authors who've been traditionally published now who have gone on to self-publishing and several of them have said to me that actually you don't get the kind of marketing support that you might expect that actually you, you, you it's no 
um, perfect scenario. You still have to do a lot of the work yourself. You don't you just can't sit back and let it happen for you. That seems to be your experience yeah. too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, there are advantages to being traditionally published. Mostly you can tell it's something that's like an internal thing, validation. Somebody looked at it and wanted it enough to put some of their money behind it. Um, Oh, that's the other thing is that you don't actually have to put much money behind it because they pay for that. Um, whereas, obviously, self-publishing, you have to pay for bits here and there, covers and editing and all of that. I was really lucky, actually. The person who edits for uh, my old publisher also does freelance, and so I've still got pretty much the same editing, which is great. That's really nice if you've built a relationship. What did you do with your covers? Did you, was that uncharted territory for you? Um, I actually made my covers, um, yeah, because I I quite liked messing around with it anyway. I've got no real formal training, but I've learned a lot off YouTube and stuff. And I've been tinkering with it for so many years now that I've actually got reasonably proficient at it. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it's not so much the making the covers, it's knowing what to put on the covers that takes a lot of skill, I think. Um, and because I was publishing a book that was already in a series, I had I knew I had to make a cover that looked like the last cover a little bit, which cut down quite a lot of the options, which is quite nice. I was interviewing an author last night who said that when she published her first book, there's a, usually a little bit of tumbleweed and it's all very quiet. But for you, you you'd got a you had a publisher previously. You've got books out. When you self-published that first book, did you find that any kind of an advantage for you? Um, it's almost like starting again, to be honest. Um, the nice thing was that the book bloggers already knew me. Mm. So, um, when I approached them to say, would you review my book? It's independently published, but you've read some other books of mine that were traditionally published. They were much more amenable to saying yes. Um, and I think that helped because I found that if I approached bloggers that I didn't know with an indie book, I certainly got much smaller response. Um, but the UK bloggers know me. So that's quite, that was helpful. Um, also having quite a lot of author community friends being active in the Romantic Novelist Association. So um, I did a blog splash on launch day and they all kind of helped out with that. That was really nice. So yeah, I got an initial spike, but <laughs> the tumbleweed has now hit. So I need to <laughs> get grips with ams ads and book bob ads and all of that now so how are you feeling about it at this stage are you pining for traditional or are you quite enjoying it bit of both um i've i actually um i have an agent now which i didn't have before um so all of these publishers that i found i directly approached them um and uh yeah, last year I found an agent, and she's got a book which she is sending out to traditional publishers. But that's very different. That's much more, um, it's not romantic comedy, it's much more women's fiction, and it's much more biased. Um, it's not literary as such. It's accessible literary, if you like. So it's got a plot. It's a, it's, it's a romance novel, but it's much more literary biased. Um, and it's more about the Sri Lankan side of things. How did you go about finding an agent? I just sent loads of submissions out. <laughs> mm. um, actually, when um, my last book, Girl Having a Ball, got shortlisted for a for one of the sub the categories in the Romantic Novel of the Year awards, and so I prepared my submissions. And the day they announced the shortlist. I just sent out a whole raft of submissions to agents going, my book's on the short list because I thought, well, I've got like six weeks before they announce whether I'm won or lost. So <laughs> Nice move. It worked because um, my agent actually contacted me the day before the awards were announced and we met for the first time at the awards. Well, I didn't win. <laughs> well, no, it doesn't matter now, does it? Because you've got an agent out of it. It was well no, played. Exactly. That. Well done. Yes, nice strategy. Where, where did you find your list of agents? Uh, Writers and Artists Yearbook. Oh, you did that? Mm, just went through that? Mm. What did you send them? What, in terms of, uh, did you send them the book or a sample? How, how did you hook them? Most agents will tell you what they want. They all want something slightly different, but generally speaking, first three chapters, synopsis, and introductory letter 
this particular agent, actually, even though I did have her off my list in the Writers and Artists Yearbook, I heard her on the, sell, uh, on the Bestseller Experiment podcast. And I thought, oh, she sounds like fun. Uh, she wanted you to send a pitch in. So rather than a synopsis, you sent her a pitch, like a blurb from the back of the book. And on the basis of that, she'd ask to see more work. How does it work with an agent? Do, do you, there's no kind of money exchanges hands. You just, they, they, they tout a book around, presumably. And then, and that's when the, the money comes in if you get a deal. Is that how it works? That, that, is, that is exactly how it works. So essentially, they work for you. They're an agent. Um, so they take your book. Um, they will work with you to improve it sometimes. So my agent does editorial work. Um, which is really good, actually. Um, and then, then she will she sends it out to, I don't know how many publishers, and yeah, hopefully gets a deal, and then she gets a cut from the deal. So, if there's no deal, there's no money for her. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's an incentive. The advantage of that is that the bigger publishers won't take submissions unless they're through an agent. Um, and the book that she's got, I. I don't think sort of the literary side of literary style of fiction will do very well as an indie. Um, I'm better off doing the, the rom-coms and I, I find I, I have to write both because sometimes I'll write a couple of rom-coms and then I'm just like, I want to write something with a bit more meat and a bit more darkness to it. And then um, I'll finish that. And I think, Oh, I'm exhausted. I want to write rom-coms now. So <laughs> So, yeah, so that's the plan is to keep the rom-coms indie and the others tread. What does a writing day or evening or whenever you do your writing, what does it look like for you? Are you you a binge writer? Do you do it in little snatches of the day? How how do you manage it? Well, um, I've got a day job and I've got two small kids. So uh, all my writing's done at night, um, between 8 and 10 o'clock usually. Although if it's a really good writing day, sometimes 8 and midnight because I just keep going. so, yeah, it's a little bit every day. Um, since I went indie now, I've got slightly less time to write because I've got to do a bit more of the whole marketing side of things. But I'm still trying to get one book out a year. So do you work, work to a word count or do you just work to time? Um, it tends to be to time. Usually I can I can only manage about 800 to 1,000 words in an hour. But, you know, if you do 800 words five days a week, it all adds up. And, and roughly what? length of book are you writing 70 to 80k so normal novel length the rom-coms sometimes come in slightly shorter um i don't plot very well so i end up actually writing quite a lot more um if i could actually get my head around plotting and and not pantsing Mm. um i'd probably become a lot more efficient at it but i can't seem to do that my brain just goes nope nope not doing that (laughs) i'm pleased you said that because i'm in in plotting mode at the moment and i bulk at Having it all planned out, I like the journey of discovery when I'm writing. I like to find it. I like yeah. to find the story sometimes. Yeah, well, I, I think it, there's a lot of, um, Joanna Penn calls it emergence, yes. stuff that just comes out while you're writing, where your subconscious is doing a lot of work that you didn't even know it was doing, and it puts it out there for you. I also think you sometimes see the links as you're writing. I, I've often written to about two thirds. And so all of a sudden you can see a pattern that you hadn't, we talked about this earlier, actually in science, that you can actually see a pattern that you hadn't got before. And yeah. you think, ah, that's how that has to go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, sometimes that, that really crucial link, which sounded really, when you're trying to work it out as a plot, it just doesn't look like anything. But while you're writing, the pattern shows up. And you think, ah, that's it. I need to ask you about your author name because this isn't your your real name, um, but it has a very interesting uh, origin story. So um, your your writer name is Rhoda Baxter. How, t- do tell us where that came from. <laughs> um, well, I'm Sri Lankan by descent, so my real name is is difficult to pronounce and even more difficult to spell. Um, and Rhoda Baxter is actually uh, one of those conversations in the pub that went a bit wrong. Um, <laughs> I did my PhD on a bacterium called Rhodobacter spheroides, which is a swamp bacterium, um, and it's it's red. Um, and, yeah, so it was always one of those jokes in the pub, oh, yeah, if I ever wrote a romance novel, I'd call myself Rhodobacter. So I did write a romance novel, so I did. I sent, I actually sent a copy of my book when, it, when the print book came out. I sent it to my PhD supervisor, and she sent me an email back saying, I like your name. 
<laughs> and I've looked it up on Wikipedia while so, we've yeah. been chatting. Yeah, it's a, a little red, uh, yeah, red and red quite, round thing. Yeah, yeah, it would actually make a nice wallpaper. That the picture I've got, it looks fine. Yeah, I should dig out some of my pictures actually and put them on the website because, um, uh, yeah, I, I did quite a lot of um, labelling them with fluorescent proteins and stuff. So I've got some nice pretty pictures of them. Well, I will put a link to that. Uh, so it's Rhodobacter spheroides. Is that spheroides? Is that spheroides, right? Spheroides, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it means red round bacterium. Well, I prefer that. That's a lot easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brilliant yeah. author name, though. Well done. That's a, that's a great way to name yourself as an author. I'll put a link to that on your on your show notes because uh, I think that's worthy <laughs> of a, a little bit of an extra read, that is. And I've, I've learned something because I, I'd seen that, um, in your author blurbs, just reading on you, that that it had some kind of origin story, and I thought, well, Rhoda Baxter. I don't know of any. I don't know of anything that that matches, but uh, it makes perfect sense now. There you go. It's been educational this program already. Really bizarrely, though, um, I met someone whose grandmother was called Rhoda Baxter. Really. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, so there you that's, go. That's brilliant. Yes. yes. A proper northern name, apparently. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's interesting what you say about author names, though, because you said that in the, the book that's with your agent at the moment, that I think um, it's got the influences of Sri Lanka in there. And, and yeah. might you then be tempted to go for your real name as an author at that point? Yeah, I think I will. Yeah. Um, because because of its its Sri Lankan leanings, I probably will go for my real name for that one. Yeah, it works better as a brand, doesn't it? I would have said. Yeah. And have you had any bites on that book yet? I, I don't know. Is it, does it just kind of go out there and, and you just wait for news? Yeah, I, I don't know yet. It's it's only recently gone out, so um, yeah, so it's a bit early days. I want to ask you about the associations that you're a member of. You and I met at the mm-hmm. Society of Authors in. Uh, yeah. was it Manchester wasn't it it was Manchester that we met and it was yeah as a as an indie author that was the first time I'd been to anything resembling a traditional gathering of authors so it was interesting for me now I was um before I did my talk I did a little survey and said who's either self-publishing or interested in self-publishing I was very surprised actually to see how many people in that room um were receptive to it um have you seen that change I think a lot of people are yeah mm. has it changed over the years definitely um yeah definitely i think hybrid is probably the way forward uh for a lot of people who were trad um there's a uh certainly in the romance world um there's a lot of authors who uh wrote for mills and boone and um other sort of category romances like that where they got their rights back and also they didn't have because e-publishing e-book rights weren't available they weren't even thought of when the original contracts were written they actually held their e-book rights themselves because they hadn't signed them away um so a lot of them got into publishing e-books of their backlist and because they've got this 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 marketing machine promoting their new books people were buying their new books and then finding all the e-published back list and they made a lot of money they still do um i'm i'm too new to have a backlist that's that's like that but uh those ladies have been an inspiration to be honest because a lot of them come to the romantic novelist association conference and and talk about what they've done and how they've put their backlist up i'm talking to an author next week actually on this podcast who's done who was an ex mills and boone and has gone indie so um you might be interested in that that it's next week as far as you and I are talking okay. now, by the time your interview goes out, it'll be history. It'll be on the, the back catalogue. But um, you might you might be interested to hear her story, that's all, because she's, she's doing exactly that, what you've said. Yeah. No, it's brilliant. Um, yeah. So, and also, you know, some, some people quite like the control. Um, I think once I get it actually off the tumbleweed stage and mm. actually back on a trajectory... Um, I think I'd probably quite like the control because you can change your covers, you can change your blurb. If something's not working, you can fix it. And that's quite nice. Well, again, in in your day job, um, I call this uh, iteration. Uh, When you're inventing things or working on things, you don't get it right first time. You have to iterate, you have to change, you have to adapt. Um, You must see this Mm -hmm. in your day job all the time, people who need to iterate and pivot. Yeah, iterating and pivoting, yeah. It's kind of hard to do once the book's in print. 
Yeah, you're stuck with it, aren't you? If it's gone to print, there's yeah. an error in it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, it that is nice, and that does chime better with how I see the world, you know, that, yes, you, you do a little bit of research, you think, oh, yeah, this is approximately right, and then you hone it, you refine it. Why and when did you join the Society of Authors? I joined the Society of Authors as soon as I was offered a contract from a publisher, so... Um, I sent the contract to the lawyers to say, you know, is this a good contract? Um, and they said it was, so so I signed it. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's, that's how I joined. Um, the Authors North Committee, um, I, I don't think I'd been to very many events because I just didn't go. I, I had very small children at that point and it was difficult. Um, and then um, I, I went to an event. And then an email came around saying there was an opening for somebody to volunteer for the Authors North Committee. And I thought, well, why not? Um, and the advantage of it being Authors North is all the meetings will be in the north. And I wouldn't have to travel across the country to go to them. So, yeah, so that's what I did. You're, you're a committee member now, I am, you? yeah. Yeah, it's been really good, actually. I'm always more comfortable with events. I'm always more comfortable if I'm doing stuff rather than just being... Um, as a, as a delegate, so I, I really like that doing the meet and greet and just you know um, helping that Girl Scout thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are the advantages for an author of being in the Society of Authors? You see, I, it was completely new to me. Uh, they asked me to do a talk. I thought, well, I'll join and I'll I'll give it a try. And I've actually been really impressed with a couple of things. I, I love the way that they have an accountant who deals specifically with authors. I think that was really good. Uh, uh, never, yes. never even thought of it, but that's a great advantage. And then you've already alluded to it once to the, the contract checks. They do the contract checks for you, which is a hugely valuable service. It is. And there will, I mean, ad hoc um, questions about contracts is quite handy. Even after you've signed your contract, if you have a contract, to say, well, does the contract allow me to do this? Does the contract allow me to do that? Um, and if you email the lawyers, they will quite often get back to you within a couple of days. Um, and that's, that's been really good. Um, and it's also, it's a union essentially writers. So they do quite a lot of campaigning for better rights. And for, um, the one that had the most effect, I think is for being paid when you give talks at literary festivals. Now, indie authors tend to look at things as a business, whereas traditionally published, you're not encouraged to think of it as a business. You're encouraged to think of it as art and you do it for the love. And so quite often literary festivals will get people to come and give talks for free for exposure. Um, and the Society of Authors with Philip Pullman and Joanne Harris at the head of the campaign um, did quite a lot of work to say, look, no, time is valuable. If you're getting people to come and talk, you pay them. And that's actually making quite a big difference now. Yeah, so, so they do quite a lot of things like that. And just meeting other people, um, you tend to move in your own your own little um, groups of people who are like you. So I, I hang around with a lot of romantic novelists, and now I'm starting to hang out with a lot of Indian novelists as well. But when I come to go to the Society of Authors, I meet people who are poets, who are uh, academic writers, children's writers, um, illustrators. So yeah, it's quite nice to meet people who do things which. Are, which are different to what you do, so you learn new things. Well, I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what to expect. I, I really thought that the whole room would be traditional. I'd be like some alien, and uh, it was really, <laughs> it was really, you know, interesting. But I tell you what, though, I did. I got a little bit of flack when I did that presentation because um, somebody mm -hmm. really bulked at my uh, proposal that you should give something away for free. I was actually interested to see that you you do this because, well, you've obviously you're an indie now, so you understand how these things actually lead to sales and money and in the long term. But um, I had quite a lot of resistance to that idea of giving away your art for free in that room, which I found very interesting. Yeah, no, I can, I can understand that. Uh, I still, I still feel it. Um, I mean, I, I give away uh, a copy of one of my novellas, Girl at Christmas, for people who subscribe to my mailing list. And that I think, well, okay, actually you're giving me permission to talk to you. So that's okay. But just just giving it away for free, it does feel quite scary. But I know you have to do it. It just feels a bit wrong. 
Well, I think if you just do it without there being any sales mechanism behind it, but for instance, you know, in my book bub, I gave, I gave away, I think I just done the book bub, I think, when we did that, I did that talk, if I remember rightly. Yes, but, yeah, but, yeah. But all in all, I shifted, I think it was about 45,000 books in the end, but it led to my highest ever sales. Uh, you know, so my, my point is, is, well, as an unknown author, and this is this is what you're experiencing at the moment when you describe the tumbleweed, you have to somehow yeah. get some impetus. You have to get your books into the hands of people. And my philosophy is that you're in a perfect position to do it because a you've got back catalogue, but you've got series as well. If you write in in series, then the free one leads to sales of the of the other books that you've done quite naturally, and that's where the money comes from. So if you even it out over yes. the units. You know, you say, okay, I, I gave one away for free and, and two I sold. But if you even the income out over the units, it works out quite well. Well, yeah, because uh, there's, um, there's millions of readers out there and they don't know about you. So, yes, I, I, yeah, I see the logic behind it. Um, as far as you mentioned that I have a back catalogue, but most of that's traditionally published. Now, the trouble with that is that I don't see the numbers until um until my royalty statement comes through so it's quite hard to track so essentially um i can only track on my indie ones so i've only got three of those so i need a few more books but um i i'm hoping to start applying for book bar ads fairly soon because when i launched my first book i launched it uh, when i launched girl in trouble i launched it at 99p and then i put it back up but then i had to wait three months before i could drop it again for book bar if that makes sense. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Cause it can't have, can't have been at a lower price for, for, for 90 days. So um, I'm just about coming out of that. So I should be starting to apply for book bobs soon. Do you like the money side of things better as an indie, the, the regular payments? Um, well, I have a day job, so it's not that huge a deal yet. <laughs> um, but yes, it, it would be nice because otherwise every six months, you don't know how well it's gone until your royalty statement drops in. And when that royalty statement drops in, are you, are you still running fairly blind with it, in that you don't get to see the breakdown of that? You you know whether you've done well or badly because of the amount of money that you get, but do you, do you get to see the territories that you've sold in and things like that? Um, no, you don't get to see the territories. You get to see the stores. You get to see which book in which store. Um, and you get to see special deals. So if, like, when the foreign rights were sold, there was a special deal, and when audio rights are sold, but no, you don't. You don't get the granularity. And I also want to just ask you a little bit about the Romantic Novelist Association, which was the first society that you mentioned. Uh, what What do you get from being a member of that association? Mm, camaraderie more than anything mm. else, I think. Um, I've got a group of friends that I made through there who are who are now friends in real life, you know. Um, and uh, we have a conference that happens once a year, uh, which is like uh, I. I book i booked that in january it doesn't happen till july but i booked that and i booked babysitting and everything <laughs> um or because i'm not going to miss that uh again quite a lot of continuing professional development you know um and you learn about what's new what quite a lot about the trad side of things but now um about two years ago they started accepting indie authors so now the indie author community is getting stronger and what actually happened was these there were people who were in the writer scheme who were getting the mentoring um, and they were quite a lot of them were successfully indie published. So they all became full members, which means we've now had a, a whole lot of new people come into the new writer scheme, which is lovely. The mentoring is amazing. Um, when I joined, I was in the scheme for three years before I became a full member and I had, you know, critiques of my work and people are so generous with their time and their advice um, there are ladies there who've been writing for ladies and gents, I should say, mm. um, who've been writing for for since before I was born, you know, and they've been writing a book a year for forty years. <laughs> There's so much wealth of experience there; it's just, um, and they're all happy to share it, which is really nice. So yeah, it's it's a a great association to belong to, um, and also slightly. Um, tangentially, I suppose, there's the genre snobbery issue, which comes up a lot, especially for romance, especially after Fifty Shades of Grey, um, where, yeah, you say, I write romance and people go, oh, um, and that doesn't happen because we all write romance. 
Um, and that is also quite nice. It's just a relief sometimes to not be judged. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, marketing and, and to just delve into how you do this, because while I was snooping around online, I found that you mm-hmm. have an Insta Freebie account, which is a very, very indie author kind of thing to do. And how many books have you got in there? You've got three books on there. What's your strategy with Insta Freebie? How are you using it? Uh, well, I first joined Insta Freebie when, um, when, I, when my book got shortlisted for the Rona Awards. Um, I sent an email out through the organizers to say, look, we could organize a giveaway of samples um, because one of the things, one of the problems romance authors in the UK have is, is making the connection with the US readers. So like I said, our books are slightly different. Um, the covers are way different. Um, and yeah, we, not very many UK authors get a US following, certainly traditionally. Um, so yeah, so what I did was I, I, I organized that and we had about 12, yeah, 12 of the books that were on the short list. Um, we put together as a Insta freebie bundle giveaway, um, just the first three chapters. And, um, and then we spoke, I spoke to Insta freebie, they promoted it to their, their groups. And then I contacted some of the bigger U S romance book blogs and said, look, we're giving away samples if you want it. Um, and, and the response was uh, collectively quite large, but individually, I think we each had about 400 to 500 downloads. And the way we were looking at it is that's 400 to 500 people that hadn't even thought about our book mm. has now got a sample of our book. So, you know, um, and that worked quite well. And then once I was in Insta Freebie, I, I ran a few more group promos. Uh, to build up my mailing list. So I went from about mailing list of about 50 at the start of last year to about 3,000 now. Brilliant. That's a nice little number. And I also see that you've been on Goodreads since 2011. Now, Goodreads has been around a, a lot longer. How, how do you find Goodreads? I actually use Goodreads as a reader. Mm. <laughs> um, it's mostly to keep track of what I've read. And sometimes somebody will say, oh, you know, that book, what did you think of it? And I won't remember because I read it five years ago. And so that's that's really um, what I do on Goodreads. I don't actually use it for marketing. I use it entirely for my uh, for my own use as a reader. You've got a profile on BookBub as well. And you did mention that you were hoping to get a BookBub at some point. When do you think you might strike for a BookBub? I don't know. I don't know. From what I can hear, what I've heard, it's like gold dust. So <laughs> I'm just going to keep trying. I have tried BookBub ads. Yeah, not much conversion. I mean, it's actually quite hard to spend a full ad, you know, um, to, to actually get clicks through. Um, but I think it's just a matter of keeping plugging away at it. Have you had time yet to try Facebook or Amazon ads? I know you, you alluded to them when you were talking about Mark Dawson's training. Have you actually got your feet wet yet? Uh, I've tried a couple of AMS ads. Facebook terrifies me, so I'm I'm just staying away from it for now. Because <laughs> it it just just the idea that all that money could just be sucked out. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Facebook's I'm not brave enough yet, but AMS ads I've had a try. I've I've just started three running, and um, I'm going to see how they go and um, learn as I go. Because um, I signed up for Mark Dawson's advertising course as well, just because, again, all the information is just there presented to you. So it's quite useful. And, and what about writing now? Because um, you've said how much you like writing thrillers. You, you've also said to me during this interview that, that chiclet as a genre, I don't think it's, it's really called chiclet now, is it? It was very much of the 90s. It was huge, wasn't it, in the 90s? Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. And that, that, you know, sometimes people look down their nose at it a little bit. Is there a thriller in you somewhere there? Do you think? I don't know. You know, um, I've never actually sat down to write a thriller. Um, yeah, I quite like writing chiclet. Um, like I said, I, it's it tends to be chiclet with a bit more uh, depth, I suppose, behind it. Um, I wrote one set in hospice, so you know, that's <laughs> that's not your normal romantic comedy territory. It's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's called Please Release Me, and it, it's set in a hospice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe never say never. Uh, you've also said that you think that hybrid is, is the way ahead. I, I have to say, I'm, I'm beginning to 
agree with you. I, th- I think this crossover between traditional and indie, I think I definitely want some indie in there. I, I wouldn't want to be all traditional, but, um, you know, even I'm, yeah. I'm beginning to look at traditional now thinking, you know, I can see the advantages of this because it gives you, it's a different platform effect. It's just another way of getting your, your, your books out there. So with, with that said, then is, is that where you are? Would you say you're hybrid rather than indie? Um, yeah, because the trad books, which are, which are with publishers are still with those publishers. Um, and yeah, and if I, it, there's, like I said, the book that's with my agent, if that goes, that will be with hopefully a different publisher, um, and different pen name. Um, yeah, hybrid is, is the way forward. I think best of both worlds, you get the advantage of the big muscle marketing machine, um, from trad and the be uh, the ability to be nimble from being indie. You've been at this writing lark for some years now. You've done very well. You've you've stuck at it. You've got lots of books out there. What is your long term aspiration as a, a writer? Are you after a movie deal? Um, you know, do you want to write the next Fifty Shades? What, what what do you want? What your dreams as an author? What are you after? <laughs> well, small scale dream. I'd quite like to be on the Richard and Judy book club. Um, <laughs> uh, big scale dream. Yeah, movie deal. I always know who's going to play whom in my books. <laughs> Do you cast them? I, I cast my books. Yeah, yeah, most of the time. It's it's uh, a, a, a favourite pastime when I'm bored. You know, if you're sitting in traffic, hmm, who would play so-and-so? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, and I must actually ask you about that. I haven't asked you this already. Um, any audio books with your books while we're talking about uh, voices and actors and things like that? Have you, have you gone into that yet, even in your trad books? Uh, one of my trad books is in audio. Um, I don't can't remember the name of the actor her but she's very good and um yeah because she does a little bit of accents as well so that's quite nice because there's all my books have a at least one Sri Lankan character in who doesn't necessarily have to have an accent but there you go (laughs) (laughs) I'm interviewing you right at the beginning of a brand new year what's on your to-do list for 2018 what are are you going to get done by the end of the year I've got a novella which has just come out of edits. Uh, I've got a chiclet book which I'm halfway through. I want to finish that, and then I need to make start on um, the next uh, Sri Lankan book. Yeah, lots of things to do. Brilliant. Well, it's been great talking to you today. I really enjoyed meeting you at the Society of Authors conference. Could you just give us a, an indication of where the best places are online to find out more about you? Um, probably best place to start would be my website, which is www.rodabaxter.com um, and also on there if you wanted to try a sample of my writing you can get a free novella by signing up for my mailing list thank you for listening to this week's self-publishing journeys if you enjoyed the show please consider sharing it with your indie author friends or you can leave a review on itunes stitcher or whichever podcast directory you use In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.